Isn't that great? Barbie's awesome. She's, uh, she's here this morning. She's uh, just such a cool, cool person. And she represents so many of us, so many people in our church who have gone and done things like this or have jumped in in different areas uh, of the things that we are doing as a church and have seen God show up and have encountered God in a different way. And many of you, many of us have had our lives change. And so it's just, uh, it's just a wonderful, Barbie's just so cool. Um, as we find better seats, I think these are better, actually. It's a good decision. Uh, and and as, we, as we get going here, I wanted to just draw attention to the fact that this has been an interesting weekend in the world of sports, right? Uh, stay with me if you're not a sports person. It'll be okay. But I just want to pay attention to the fact, even if you're not a sports person, though, let's be honest, like there's some, there's some things, there's some events that you just want to like be aware of that are happening. It's like, it's like saying, I'm not a political person, so I don't vote. No, 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 you vote, and you want to be aware of who's running for office, uh, even if you're not a, quote, political person. Same, same deal, when there's major sports things happening, I'm helping you out here, you still want to know like a little bit about it so you can enter into conversations with people and, and kind of know. So I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you, uh, yesterday there was a, a Los Angeles professional basketball team that advanced further into the playoffs. Some people care about that. Uh, there, was also, there was also this, uh, this little fight that people were talking about, uh, calling it the fight of the century or something like that. Insane amount of money and dollars and eyeballs and, and things fixated on that event. Uh, but there was also this little thing called um, the Kentucky Derby. I know many of you were glued to your televisions for the Kentucky Derby, uh, and I actually watched about 12 minutes of it. The Kentucky Derby is a horse race, if you didn't know. It happens in Kentucky, and it's this big track, and horses race all day, and the coverage, the TV coverage is like all day long. The actual Kentucky Derby race is two minutes. So you can go to the bathroom, you can be there all day for six hours watching and go to the bathroom and miss the whole race, you know? I just watched the tail end of the coverage and then the race, and it was ama- it's, a, it's a spectacle. It's unbelievable to see all the pomp and circumstance that goes on at these events. I wanted to show you a few of the hats because people dress fancy. Here's one. <clears throat> you don't want to sit behind this person at the Kentucky Derby. You'll have trouble seeing, but the hat is probably like a $1,000 hat. I don't know. How about this one? This is a large flower positioned... <laughs> on someone's head in like a perfect balancing thing. I don't know if she's got the, the strap or if it's just like she's someone who carries jugs of water to her village and, and so it just balances that way. Uh, and there's one more, I think. Look at this elaborate, beautiful headdress, right? I mean, it's just, uh, but they go, there's all kinds, it's famous. There's, these horse races are famous for the hats and people dress up all fancy and they sip lemonade and stronger drinks and they, and they bet all kinds of money and they go to this, 100,000 people were around this track and then millions watched on TV, a two minute horse race. And as I'm sitting there watching it, I'm thinking, Why? Why do you do, why do we go to all this trouble? Why do we do all of this? Why dress up? Why all the money? Why are people traveling from around the country to go to Kentucky to watch horses run? Like what, and small men navigating them on a dirt track trying to win a prize. It's just like, what? This is nuts. And it is kind of nuts, except for if you get caught up in the tradition of it, right? For some hundred years or something, people have been 
going to this racetrack and watching these horses and my mom's mom and her mom's mom and we did the thing and we got the hats and we sat the place and we put our little $10 bet down and we, what, the, the tradition, tradition of it has continued to, to prompt people and to get people together and they watch it and whatever else, which caused me to think, what is it? that gets us to do what we do. Why do we keep doing this, keep gathering every single Sunday? Why do we do this? Certainly there's other things that you could do on a Sunday. Certainly there's other ways that we could spend our time or resources or whatever else. Why do we do this? Why do we gather? Why do we come and sing? Why, why do musicians spend the week rehearsing and rehearsing and practicing and getting ready for this to lead you in some music? Why do I spend all the time preparing a message to give? Why are people here at 6 a.m. unloading two big trailers and setting up for us to do this? And then tonight, we'll be here until 8 p.m., putting it back in the trailers until next week. Why do we go to all that trouble? Hopefully, it's about more than just tradition, Right? Hopefully it's about more than just my mom's 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 mom went to church and so we've just been doing it ever since. My guess is that if that's the case, your kid, when they go off to college, they're not going to think much of the tradition. My guess is when things get really difficult in life, the, the Sunday thing or really busy or, or there's lots of travel opportunity or whatever else, that the tradition of it is not going to be enough. So why, why do we do this? If you were here last week, I introduced a new campaign that we're doing, a building campaign called Step In, because we believe that God is taking us to another space. We've enjoyed being in this space for the last almost three years, uh, but we feel convinced that he has another space for us. We're not 100% sure yet what that space is. We think it's probably the Regency Movie Theater. We're in negotiations right now on that space, but we felt like he has said to step in, to jump in, to begin to raise money. This is going to happen. We're going to move. It's going to be great. We're all going. If you missed last week's message, you need to listen to it online. You can download the podcast or just go to the website and listen to it. We also have an envelope for you on the patio that explains what we're doing. You got to You got to catch up. You got to get there. But it causes us to wonder, why would we go to all that trouble? All this negotiations, the money that's involved, the shift. Isn't this enough? Isn't where we are? Why would we keep going? Why would we? Why, 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 why? And I think it's important to ask questions like that. Why do we do this? So I want to answer that today, and I want to answer that over the next two weeks as well. And to answer it, I want to give you just a little bit of a background of our church as a whole. I want you to know. Uh, the mission of our church, why we do what we do, what we're about. And if you've gone through Rooted, that's the place where you begin to know about our church and what we're about. Uh, maybe you've forgotten or maybe you haven't been able to go through Rooted yet, but I want to share with you the mission statement of our church. Mariners is five churches networked together in Orange County, and we'll, there's going to continue to be more Mariners churches, and, and we're helping other churches actually and partnering with them and helping them figure out church in their respective areas. Uh, and this is our mission statement. It says, transforming ordinary people into passionate followers of Jesus, fearlessly changing the world. Transforming. 
Transforming suggests a change. It suggests a change that is not like a human change, but there's like something, that, a transforming that only God can do. So we're saying that we are dependent for God, on God, to change our lives, that we want to go from being one way to another way. The ordinary people says that we're just regular people here, that there's no secret code or handshake that you have to learn to be a part of this church. We're not categorizing your sins at the door to make sure that you're good enough to be a part of this church. No one is better than anyone else in this church. We are all regular people, unique in our own ways, but human and common in other ways. And we're trying to figure out what it means to follow this God who created us, who designed life, and has something for us specifically in this life. And as we figure that out, as we follow this Jesus and learn what he's all about, something's going to happen in us that's going to prompt us to action. That we will then be inspired by the love of this God who created us to then show love to other people. And that will result ultimately in world change. It might not feel like world change to you, but it'll be the world change for one person or one home or one neighbor or one family or one community or one workplace. And the ripple effect of us all impacting the lives of people in our community ends up being world change, and that's what we are doing. That's the mission of our church and what we're about. Now, here's the method. Here's the method of our church, how we do what we do. We call this the transformational loop. This is a loop that says this is what we focus on. We don't do a whole lot of things. We do a few things, and we feel like these are the most important things because we feel like these are the most important ways that God has designed us to live, that he's made us a certain way, so we need to pay attention to that. And so we help our church, we help each other do a few things. One is we gather. That says gather. We we gather on Sundays in a place like this, actually exactly in this place right now. We are gathering, <laughs> we are gathering right now. That's, what, that's what's happening here. And most of you found our church for the first time here in the gathering. This is where most people end up kind of encountering us, showing up on a Sunday, being invited to, connecting. Uh, this is where most of it happens and starts. And this is what I'm going to talk more about this morning. Really quickly, briefly, I want you to know the other two components. This is, what we, this is where we group. So we group. We say in our church that circles are even more important than rows. That rows are really important for inspiration and encouragement and celebrating together. And it's a lot of fun to gather together and to do what we do. But even more important for your own personal growth and development are circles. Being in a circle with a handful of people that you're doing life with. People that know you. People that visit you when you're sick. People that help you when you need help. People that are there for you and walking with you through the ups and the downs and the seasons of life. And, and this is an important part. And so we help people, like Neil was talking about, get connected in community. This is a big part of what we do as a church. And then the third thing that we do is we go. We go out. We do good. We care for people. We make an impact. We serve. 
So we think that if God is changing our lives, that we should be actively engaged in helping people encounter the same God, that he blesses us to be a blessing for other people. Otherwise, it's just a self-serving life that we lead, right? So we need to be those who are receiving and giving away. And then the circle just continues. We, then we keep gathering, we keep getting into groups, we keep going out, we keep inviting people in, and that's what we do. That's what this church is is about. And so as we look to the future and we say we're going from this time and this season to another time and another season. It's happening. It's coming. There's going to be a new place, a new next home for our church. And it's going to be great and it's going to be a big deal, but we want to get clear about who we are, what we're doing and why we're doing it. So it's not just about oh this is a you know, a campaign for that, or if we, it's, it's the why. Why? And so if I've been, as I've been thinking and preparing, uh, you know what, you, you have an outline in your bulletin, but honestly, I'm not going to follow it very much. Just this morning, I had a conviction that I was supposed to shift some things around and do this a little bit differently. So I told Lori uh, before the last service that this is going to be a little bit like Back to the Future, where it's a, it's a blues riff in G, watch me for the changes and try to keep up. You know what I mean? It, there's going to be some slides that we're going to skip, and we're not exactly sure how this is going to go, but this is, uh, this is what I feel like I'm supposed to do uh, this morning. I was thinking about what it is that we envision, what it is that we see happening. And I believe that part of us taking this next step in our church is so that someday in the not-too-distant future, Every person, every human being in a five-mile radius of our gathering has been invited. Wouldn't that be something? You know how many lonely, hurting, isolated, struggling, depressed, heartbroken, sick, dying, divorced people are all around you all the time and here in our midst right now? What if, what if we're a place where everyone in a five-mile radius has been cared about enough to have extended an invitation and invited to participate, to be, because everybody's welcome. Every Asian person, every Hispanic person, every white person, black person, surfer kid, skater kid, beauty pageant person, someone off the street, that everyone is welcome because we're all the same. And if we've encountered the hope and the love and the forgiveness and the grace of this generous God, it's with that kind of generosity that we extend it and we just want people to know. And you and I, we can't invite everybody, but we can invite some people right around us. And what if, what if, in the next few years, that becomes a reality. And part of God leading us to our next place is because all the people that we know and that he plans to bring to be a part of our gatherings can't fit here. And there's another place that he has for us. Within a five-mile radius, our community is saturated with people who care enough to invite. They're not all going to come, but some will. Some will. And some of those stories will be like Barbie's story. And some of those stories will be like Donna's story, which I just heard recently. Donna is a woman in our church, and she was sitting in that parking lot outside trying to decide if she was going to come into church. 
And in her mind, she was ready to give up on church. She had had some bad experiences. She was discouraged and not feeling like she wanted to do this. She had been here one or one time, maybe. And she's in the parking lot, and she, she makes a deal with God. She says, I'll, I'll go one more time. I'll give this church one chance. But if, if I don't feel you, and if I don't feel connected, and if no one cares or even acknowledges me, I'm not coming back. And so she got out of her car, and she walked on the patio, and one of you saw her and remembered her name from the only other time that you had met her and said, Donna, and threw your arms around her and gave her a hug. She just lost it and started crying. And she stayed, and she's part of our community. And not only that, she invited family, and she has family members that have since come and had their life changed in this community. And this gathering is a place where people can feel connected to something bigger, can feel like they belong, can feel like it doesn't matter what's happened before, you're welcome here. Everyone, maybe, in a five-mile radius, within reasonable driving distance of our church. Wouldn't that be something? Another vision that I see for our church is that this will be a community, this will be a place, these will be gatherings where your kids, even if you don't have kids yet, one of these days, will drag you to church. Your kids and your students will tell you, no, 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 I don't want to go to the mountains this weekend. I don't want to miss. Wouldn't that be something? That's not how I grew up. My parents made us go to church. and I didn't want to. My grandpa was a pastor and then my dad worked for an organization called Young Life, and they just instilled in us from a young age, it's Sunday, unless you're real, real sick, we're going to be in church. Even when I made the Claremont Stars Club soccer team and paid all that money to have a little emblem on a bag and to feel like I was special on this club team, and 30% of the games were on Sundays, and I had to have the awkward conversation with my dad on the co- and the coach that I was going to miss them. I was like, sorry, that's just kind of what we do. Sundays are important, so he's not going to make all the games. I'm like, what? I'm on the Claremont Stars. Don't you know I'm the center midfielder? That's important. My dad let me go to like playoff games and special games here and there, but he wanted to just drive home the point that there's something special about Sunday and about gathering and about being together. And there's a reason why we do it. And I want to give you just a little glimpse. I want to give you just a little glimpse of the story and why Sundays matter because we want to be that kind of a church where it matters to people, where they feel drawn, they don't want to miss. And even a a punk kid who doesn't want to go to the church because it's not cool, I actually tried to invite people to church when I was a kid and it was just so painful. It was just, it was weird and it it was really weird and awkward and my friends never wanted to go back so I stopped inviting them and I determined a long time ago, if I ever lead a church, it will be a place that's safe to invite friends to. And so that's what we will be. We will be a church that is safe to invite friends to for your kids, for you, for us, because it's about connecting with this God 
who loves us, who has a design and a plan for our lives uniquely, who wants us to live lives to the full, who would not want that once they really get it? Once they really get it, that that's what it's about, that it's not rules and rituals and all that kind of stuff, once you really get it, who doesn't want that? So we'll be that kind of a place. Here's a little bit of the context. You know, you know, like back in the beginning, the Bible tells us that God created, right? He created in six days, the Bible says. So in biblical terms, they start the day on Sunday. That's just kind of how it is. They start the day on Sunday through Friday, Saturday. Saturday then being the final day of the week. So the scripture teaches that God created on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday through Friday, the first six days of the week. And on the seventh day, he rested, which would be Saturday, which is why for Jewish people throughout history, they have celebrated what's called the Sabbath day of rest on Saturdays. Because of that passage of scripture and because God said, I want you to honor this day and rest and remember that you're not ultimately in charge of the world, that I keep this thing spinning. And so we've paused on the Sabbath Saturdays for years and years and years and years and years and years and years. And in fact, the Jewish community, they have 40 laws and rules about what you can and cannot do on that Sabbath Saturday. So it was a regular routine reminder. They are constantly thinking about the significance of this day of rest. And all of that changed when Jesus died on a cross. And so Jesus, we believe, is the God of the universe who put on skin, lived a perfect life, because after all, he was God, and died on a cross, and in that death, paid for all of death and darkness and sin, for all of humanity, for all of time. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And here's what the Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So early on a Sunday, Jesus raises from the dead. So for years and years and years, Sabbath, Saturday, that was the day, that was the holy day. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he raises from the dead on a Sunday. And so people that follow Jesus ever since for the last 2,000 years have marked Sunday as special. It's a resurrection day. And for every week for the last 2,000 years, people have paused on Sundays and they've said, that happened he actually rose from the dead. The God of the universe, that thing, there's people who saw it, lots of them. There's people who wrote about it, lots of them. And there's people who have passed it on, kids, generation, 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 so that we're still gathering on Sundays and talking about it to this very moment in time. Because we don't want to forget that resurrection means that there's new life for all. That because Jesus died and came back to life, that we can have new life too. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus. And here's what 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So you have this old creating six days rest, and then you have this Jesus who comes, and he says, I'm going to start recreating. We're going to start it on a Sunday. This will be the day that you remember 
as the day when the recreation, the new creation, the new life is springing forth from death and from darkness and from what was. This is, this is what's new. This is what's next. And so, friends, we gather on Sundays together to remember that he's making all things new. That's what he's doing. And so we remember that. We remember this new creation. We remember Resurrection Sunday because that's what we're about. That's what everything that we believe hinges on. And we have a tendency to forget. I was at Disneyland on Friday, uh, first time taking the two-year-old, and uh, only the second time my wife Hillary has ever been in her life, by the way, which is kind of a weird deal. But anyway, we're there. And I, I was caught up again in the wonder of Disney. You know, uh, I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm watching these things happen and I'm watching the characters do their thing and this whole coordinated parade that's going down and the, I'm thinking in my mind the money that's being spent to make this thing happen. Like how much practice, how much training, how many people are wearing headsets, how many people are hiding and they're just behind cameras that are watching everyone in the crowd to make sure no one steals someone else's kid and whatever else is happening. I mean, there's just so much involved in what's going on there. And there are people sitting around a boardroom somewhere in Anaheim that are making decisions about how, why it's worth it to spend all that money, hire all those people, repaint all those things, put in that next float, do that next thing, make that next movie, because they are committed to the story of Disney. They are so committed to every kid having the time of their life when they're there. They are so committed to the legacy, to what it represents. Friends, that's why we keep coming back here. Because we are committed to this story. Because to us, it's everything. It's so much more than Disney and theme parks and boxing fights and the next house and the next car and the next paycheck that you... It's so much bigger than that. This is the story. And we need to constantly come back and remind ourselves this is the story. And it's relevant to us and it matters to us because he's still recreating all the time. <clears throat> There's a, uh, one more story that I want to share with you from the Old Testament. It's the book of Nehemiah. And uh, Nehemiah is a guy who, who was so burdened that his, his people back in Jerusalem, they were living in, in just chaos. And there was a wall that had been surrounding the city and it had been torn down when the city was invaded years before. And so he just... He just feels like, I have to do something about this. He goes back to Jerusalem to his hometown, and he helps be to begin to rebuild the wall. He catalyzes all the people to rebuild this wall that they had been unwilling, uh, unable and unwilling to do for the past almost 50 years, 40 years or so. And he gets them to rebuild it in 52 days. Un unbelievable efficiency and miraculous endeavor work-wise. And so they rebuild this wall. And let me read to you the, what they did when they, when they finished building the wall. Chapter 7, verse 1, and chapter 8, verse 1 says, After the wall had been built, all the people came together as one, as one united gathering, in the square before the water gate. 
They, they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law. So the first five books of the Old Testament, the book of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. And here's why I tell you that. Because we're going to be talking in the, in the coming weeks about a new building and about stuff we're going to do and how cool it's going to be and all that's great. But it's clear throughout history and still today that when we build, when we do stuff and structures, it's never really about the stuff and the structures. It's always about what happens inside. And since that time and for thousands of years and still today, what changes lives are not buildings. They're necessary They've always been necessary, but that's not what changes lives. What changes lives is what happens inside. That when God's truth meets a heart, something happens. When someone sees Donna on the patio, lives are changed. When, when, when there's an encounter, when there's a connection, it's something beautiful takes place that you can't really explain. There's still power in these same words of God Thousands of years later, we just talk about them in new ways and contextualize them for our current circumstances and lives. But it's the same stuff. We celebrate the God who has always been, who is and will be. That's why we gather. We remember that he's recreating all the time. And then our response to that, oftentimes, is that we sing. Have you noticed that we sing? Have you noticed that these guys just came up behind me? <laughs> There's a reason that we sing. Music has such a pivotal part in our lives. You know it does. There's a reason why you're sitting in your car and the song comes on and you start rock fisting and you, you just can't help it. There's a reason for that. There's something in our souls. Music does something to us. Did you know that before armies land on foreign soil, they often send their musicians ahead so that when they set foot on the soil, they hear the sounds of the music from home and they feel like we can do this. Music does something. It gets us out of our heads where we try to rationalize what we will and won't do with logic and it taps into our hearts and souls and we get caught up. And that's a good thing. There's something that happens in here that you cannot replicate at home. You can't even replicate it at a U2 concert. There's something special when the combination of a bunch of God's people who have God's spirit in them show up and God's truth is talked about. And then God's name is celebrated with singing. It's just, it's just different. There's just something there. And there's one more reason that we sing. Look at this verse from Revelation 4. After this, I looked and I saw a door that opened into heaven. Day and night, they never stopped singing. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord, the all-powerful God who was and is and is coming. Look at those words. Day and night, they never stopped singing. This is a glimpse, friends, into eternity, just on the other side of this veil that we can't see. There are angels, there are others that have gone before, who we've lost, maybe just recently, who never stop singing. They're singing to this God all the time because he's at the center of the universe, not you, not me. He is. Ultimately, our gatherings are not about us. We get a lot out of them, but they're not about us. 
There's a God who designed you to worship him. He designed you for a relationship with him. And he compels you to sing, to respond, to know him, to get caught up in the chorus that's been echoing throughout all of time and continues even now in this very moment. That's why we sing. Because we believe in the story. And that's why we keep coming back. Because we need to remember and we want to get caught up and we want to keep going together. So I want to invite you to stand as we respond, as we sing, as we celebrate, as we remember together this morning.